It is 1 a.m. in New York, 8 a.m. in Johannesburg, and 1.30 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Hour. <laughs> Happy Hour. This is Sunday Shadow Bean from SundayBean.com. I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations, and I'm on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. Today, I have... A very special treat for you. I have someone who has the secrets that you wish you knew, insight about how to make your career transition and get the job when you are overseas. I would like to warmly welcome Victoria Coaster Lenhart, a career transition strategist and resume writer. She's also a job search coach for US diplomat spouses and partners in Europe. A global employment advisor to the US State Department, she supports families relocating to European countries or the USA by assisting the family members in making the career transitions and finding meaningful employment while living in Europe. And if any of you who are in Europe as expats, you know just how challenging this can be. As an expat herself, she's learned firsthand the importance of developing a strategy. She and I are aligned on strategies for relocation that includes networking, communications, outreach, and finding and building community. I know with my heart that she couples this with a deep understanding of how important it is to make a course correction when you're faced with your own career changes. And that's what she uses to help her clients discover the next phase of their life. So Vicki, I am so happy to have you on Expat Happy Hour today. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be talking to you about this because I, I believe we both share the same passions. Um, Absolutely. And- And you have all the things that I connect with about building community and relationships. Listen, here's the thing. You, what you do, I think people are going to love because there's this struggle when you are uh, living abroad somewhere and you have an education, you have a professional background and it's like, there's this gap between you and this employer that you can completely add value to, but you just don't know how to bridge the gap. And I have a hunch that's exactly what you help people do. Can you tell us more about who you are and what you do exactly? Of course. Uh, Well, I was about uh, 21 when I first thought about moving abroad. So I am now in my late 50s. So I've been through the whole gamut of searching for jobs at various ages and life phases. And I I tap into that all the time because clients are all that, all of those ages from starting out just freshly married in many cases, freshly first time living abroad to um, getting ready to retire and maybe even move back to the United States after 25 years. Uh, I started out um, with working at the Coca-Cola company, which is where I got the bulk of my coaching background and coaching experience, working also with expats. I recruited um, many people to work with me in Vienna at the time because I needed um, native English speaker writers. 
who knew how to put together software documentation. And when we talk about closing those gaps or, or finding your value, um, it's really important to look at and research companies and how they match what your values and skills are. A lot of people will come uh, to Europe without language skills and think, ah, I can't get a job, but they're still passionate. And so when you talk about bridging those gaps and connections, um, you have to look at also your your language skills and not go into the rabbit hole of, oh, I don't speak the local language. Nobody's going to know who I am. And yet at the same time, you're having to deal with, I don't speak the local language. I'm illiterate for the first time in my life. I have a PhD in neurophysics, but I'm illiterate. Oh, that is the hardest. I know how many times I've actually chills up the bottoms of my legs right now. When I hear you say that, I think it's going back to that feeling that I had of, being um, so employable tip, you know, in my own context, but feeling like a child with my German. And that's so hard. But I want to go back to what you said. I loved how I was talking about closing the gap and you automatically shifted that to saying, finding your value. And uh, I'm going to share a little story here about my my own journey in Switzerland, finding your value, I would say in context. Mm -hmm. I spent, I, I wasted, I would say, I wasted so much time applying for jobs. I think I, I my goal was to get to 100 rejections and then get a job because I knew it would take a while. <laughs> I, I, what I was doing was I was trying to be Swiss. I was trying to be like them, meaning I was trying to my German to be so good that I could do the work and... I realized that what I was doing was missing out on actually the thing that gave me the greatest advantage. I'm, so I was uh, right. I was trying to hide my English and put forward my German. It was ridiculous. And once I started, I made the shift. I got job offers for positions I kind of thought were over my head. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm finally doing something right. Do you see that happen? Absolutely. I mean, this aspect of trying to be something you're not, a lot of people will come and think, I have to improve my language skills. And I, the first thing I tell people is that nobody's going to hire you for your German or your French or your whatever language. They're hiring you for you. And I think one of the greatest things that I've um learned over the last five years, and I get tipped off um, from people like Sally Hogshead and many others who work on personal branding, is they mm-hmm. need to figure out who you are and be more of you. And that's a lot of what I do. That's a mm-hmm. lot of what career transition is about. Um, many people I work with have never done career transition. And so they're thinking, oh, I want to find a job and I want to update my resume. And that's actually the outcome of the work. Um, mm-hmm. input is really figuring out who you are, figuring out what makes you unique. And many times you can start with, okay, I'm, for me, I was, I'm a New Jersey girl. Now you can mm-hmm. take the girl out of New Jersey, but not the Jersey out of the girl. Um, you know, I come from the Northeast of the United States. I've been living abroad for 30 years, but it's still a part of who I am. And it's still a part of how I deliver what I do and how I think and, and approach the world, although I'm a global citizen at this point. And I think a lot of people really, I think, I, I think it's a wonderful example what you said in terms of as soon as you figured out that 
and stop trying to be something that you're not and stop trying to be a Swiss citizen and instead look at this is who I am and how does being a Swiss citizen make me even more unique and more valuable. And, um, you know, it used to be easier when you came to Europe and were a native English speaker, because that was highly valuable 30 years ago, especially in central Europe. Now you've got to have a little bit more than just your native language, though um, native English speakers have a lot of options in terms of teaching English as a second language, teaching business English to um, high level people working at companies, you know, even at the C-level or executive management who want to improve their English. They're always looking for people um, who are able to teach at that level and coach at that level. That's so funny you say that. That's how I started out in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. A lot of pe- And a lot of people do. And I think actually, you know, getting a TELSOL or some kind, some kind of certification at that level kind of, you know, helps you on that confidence level. When you have to go through literacy, when you have a a, a degree from an American university, um, on your, or or any university. It's not just America. These are these are situations that happen to any expat from any country. Um, when you arrive in a country, um, and in many cases, you if you're the spouse that's taking care of the young children, and this happens a lot. Um, you're you're not only illiterate, but you are illiterate in terms of how do people manage, um, take care of their children in this country? I think when you we're talking about mistakes, the biggest mistakes you can make, the first one, but it's so easy to slip into, is trying to be something that you're not. And I mm-hmm. think confronted with that for the first time, um, where you have to say, well, what, what am I? Is daunting, especially when you can't speak the language and then start to just talk to people about how you're feeling and how... And, to, and then to figure out how do I move through that phase as quickly as possible um, or not and um, and go into the next phase. And I think, you know, it's so easy. You use the word wasting or the phrase wasting time. You didn't waste time. It was it's kind of like a groundhog day. You know, mm-hmm. you're testing. Oh my God. Don't even make me go there again. It was, I mean, when I think about how that felt emotionally, I felt like, you know, Groundhog Day, I felt like I was trapped in Groundhog Day. Like, Mm -hmm. and in reality, it was a very short time period, but it felt like forever. You know, I felt like I'm never going to get a job. It was, it was horrible. It was horrible for my ego. I, I thought it was, you know, destroying my career if you're not good about um, separating those two things, it can put your relationship at work at risk. Cause then you're like, I'm out of here and you might break up a relationship. I, I don't want to underestimate how important it is right. to be really clear around expectations of how long does it take to get a job when you're abroad? And, um, and, and even in context, because in Switzerland, for example, I think most Swiss, it takes six months to a year to find the right job for a Swiss who is in the Swiss system. Imagine if you're a foreigner, then you need to budget a realistic amount of time to get your job job. Well, and you also need to um, engage in a job search, um, a job search campaign. 
And right. that includes networking, showing up for places, meeting people, um, making sure that you're getting your hair cut and um, staying current with, uh, you know, keeping your clothes clean so that you always have a way to present yourself. It's very easy to fall into that rabbit hole of um, lack of self-care because your head is full of so much, um, so much emotion um, That's right. so interesting you say that. I, You know what? It kind of took me off guard when you shared that, but I'm guessing it. I guessing you have clients who get stuck in a rut and that they're not taking care of themselves anymore, and then it, sh- it reflects in how they show up. It's, it's not that they're not taking care of themselves. I think what's happening is you're, there's a, this kind of rebirth phase of your, your um, you move to a country after making a choice to go on this adventure with a person that you love oftentimes. And this, this is for married couples or partnerships, but it also happens for people who are single and you land in a country, you don't speak the language you um, until you can articulate that. Oh my gosh, this is what it feels like to be illiterate takes some months. Um, You're, you know, dealing with foreign money, foreign customs, everything's new you are, in a sense, a baby again, except you don't have a lot of nurturing going on because the spouse that took the job is focused 100% on being successful. I mean, they've taken on a new job, plus mm-hmm. all of the other things that you're going through. So the patience for a relationship and, and having the resilience to stop and talk through what's going on, they're go- that the spouse that's working is also going through the same thing. And unfortunately... In all of this relocation um, that a lot of people in the space that I work in, there isn't a lot of coaching going on for the spouse that's actually has the job. Right. When I talk to clients, they are like, oh my God, Sunday, I didn't even know people like you existed. Yeah. It's like they're, most people cry on the first session because they are so relieved that they're speaking to someone who gets it. Alyssa, I have a question here. So I'm really interested in the campaign and I want to get a little bit pragmatic about that, but there's two things I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. One, for those of you who are listening and hear about this, you know, the time that you need to transition and get to know stuff. If you are on a two-year assignment, I have a hunch you're freaking out because you're like, I don't have time. I go in for two years and then I'm gone. So I'd like to talk about two different strategies. One, for the rotational expat who is there in a country for two, let's say maximum four years. And then there's the love pats, the people who moved abroad to their partner's country and are staying there indefinitely. And those I think are two different strategies because the role of language and culture is different and the time factor is different. So can we be really pragmatic for a second? And I want to hear your campaign strategy for the short term. And then how does that differ for the long term? So for um, the short term, it's the same for both. Once you start, um, once it's clear that you're moving abroad, uh, we are living in the world of social media and the internet and it's, imperative that you have some kind of profile out there um, whether it's a face a professional Facebook or I encourage people still on LinkedIn um, especially since it's been purchased by Microsoft um, this is something that everybody has in their computer these days and there's a there's so much that you can do with LinkedIn and a lot of people think of LinkedIn as just being um, a static resume that's out there 
but it's actually pretty organic and it's a fabulous way to get to know the movers and shakers locally um, and movers and shakers that you are going to interact with in your um, in your language. In a lot of countries, there are smaller communities um, that are built around um, countries, cultures, you know, Americans have their own communities, French, you know, some of the bigger countries have their own communities. And then there are um, categories like the love paths or the millennials have their stuff or the expat spouses have their communities. So the campaign is really about making sure that you have a, prof- a profile out on the internet, whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook, um, that is the anchor for who you are. This is your virtual business card because you don't have the opportunity to go everywhere and be everywhere and hand out your card. And people are finding you. Recruiters are finding you. Um, go back and a great starting place is to go back to your university alumni, your professional companies where you've worked, and just start to reach out and follow people, see what they're talking about and engage with them through commenting, liking. Um, commenting is so important. I think people don't realize in, in social media that once you have a profile out there, that commenting is like you sitting in a room and exchanging your opinion. And right. Being able to articulate your opinion about topics helps you hone where your value is and helps you hone what you think about things. And what you think about things is what attracts people to you. And, and the, I just want to pick up on this. There's two things that are going on for me. I love that you brought up LinkedIn. Um, you and I are aligned here. What I um, recommend, I have this program called Adapt and Succeed. And I, in my video series, I talk about how, what you need to do before you go. And yes, establish a profile. And what, and I would add, reach out and message people personally and say, hey, I'm moving to your area. I'm looking forward to it. I just have two questions to ask if you don't mind. And you start creating a real relationship Yes. Um, with people before you go. So then when you land, you're like, hey, I know a couple people in this context. And then you could say, I've arrived. I brought a gift for you. I'd like to say thank you for your support. And then you can meet the people face to face or mail it to them or whatever that you're actually nurturing real relationships. And, um, and I think with people something that gets lost on LinkedIn. People think totally. I think people think we we still feel like it's you know, it's almost like the troll stuff. Like it's not me. It's not the real me. And it is the real you. And I, all my relationships uh, with my clients are through, you know, like face, FaceTime and that sort of thing. And we connect over WhatsApp. These are real deep relationships. But I think one of the things you, you touched on is the fact that when you have a profile, it's the profile that gets people connected but as soon as you're connected, I can't tell you how many times, I want to say 99.99% of the time, it's the connect through the social media tool. And then like by the third message, it's let's plan a phone call. Let's meet for coffee. I'm arriving on September 30th. Can we have, let's set up a coffee for October 2nd. And the thing is, this I'm totally with this. This is if anybody was listening seriously, you can do it differently. Don't don't be the graspy person who says, "Here's my resume. Do you guys have a job?" Be the authentic person who's like, "I'm so excited to move your, to your country. I haven't been there before. 
Um, here's a couple questions. The person who's showing gratitude for the time they gave and a gesture of thanks. That is, that's a way to capture attention and, and nurture a real relationship. And it's right at your fingertips. I think so many people miss it. Right. And when you talk about the rotational people from the two to four years versus the love paths, the rotational people are just doing this more often because mm-hmm. they're kind of forced into that lifestyle. But once you once you really spend a couple of years developing some relationships genuinely and people get to know who you are, mm-hmm. you're you're already feeding that cloud, so to speak, and it grows then on its own. You have to keep feeding it. It's kind of like um, um, starter yeast for sourdough bread. You know, yep. you start with a small amount, but it will continue to grow and you need to feed it to keep it alive. And that's where the the love pats get, um, well, get lazy is kind of strong, but it's too easy to kind of think, well, this is where my life is and I'm in my job. You kind of get into that. I'm here, I'm working. What's, you know, what do I need to do? And then suddenly something happens in life somewhere between, you know, whether it's either starting a family or you're becoming empty nesters, or you, your job changes, your company changes, your manager changes, life changes, and you're forced somewhere in your 40s to reevaluate your life and go, oh, I thought I was just going to glide into retirement. That just doesn't happen anymore. So you're forced into another career transition, and then somewhere in your 50s and 60s, there are other things that are going on that right. you into another transition. And so you're, you a lot of people find these different phases where they they're living in a country for a longer time where they're forced again into a career transition and have to go through the same type of campaign and realize ooh I haven't been feeding I haven't been feeding the yeast right and um, it's not about it's not something manipulative or strategic it's just no. about being intentional in your relationships one thing i would like to add with the long term and this is my personal opinion um based on my lived experience and also a bit from the intercultural strategist perspective but for long term love pets for people who are long term migrants in other locations i would add that um the importance of learning the local language gets higher and higher with every passing year because once you've been there for five years or 10 years, you know, in 10 years, you could probably learn the language. Maybe not, you know, Chinese is probably incredibly difficult to learn, but you you use the language as a tool to get clear on the culture, show the local population, I'm so serious about living here and integrating and it opens your job perspective. So that would be the one big difference I would add for the long-term expats. Absolutely. But, you know, I see enough people, and I've done it myself, where you get into a job, especially if you're hired for your native language skills, um, there's nothing forcing you really um, to improve, to get to really get to the next level in your local language skills. I did that, I mean, having worked for a company like Coca-Cola, I was in, you know, the work environment was English. And after 20 years, when I left, um, the first thing I did was um, really focus five days a week on my language skills because I couldn't really write in German. Well, and the thing is, you don't want to know, honestly, what got me focused on learning Swiss German? Going to the gynecologist. (laughs) It's like, 
I, you know, my husband, I, I'm in the beginning, it was like, honey, can you make my doctor's appointment? Oh, that is so out of alignment with the independent woman I strive to be. And I going to such an intimate appointment and not being able to express yourself mm-hmm. is so debilitating. And that, that for me is a big motivator. And I, I didn't want language to restrict me for the rest of my life. And I know how hard it is to learn a language. I'll tell you what, I, I got my level of German is C1, like the um, advanced German and how many hours I spent in a cafe with 86 year olds eating pie. I would have rather been running. I would have rather been making money. I would have rather been with friends, but I knew that if I buckled down for two years, you know, in my spare time, that it would reap re- rewards. So I'm just saying that to anybody out there who is living in your partner's country, just, I promise you, buckle down for two years <laughs> and yeah. you will reap the rewards for the rest of your life. Um, it's not just, I mean, that was, that would be for the love pat for sure. But what I've seen also with the rotational is, you know, they come with a PhD or they come with years of experience in a specific um, space and they go and they take a month of intense language um, and they make the investment both financially and time-wise. And just with four to six weeks of intense language skills, they have enough that makes them stand out as a candidate, because what companies are looking for is they're not looking to hire you for the, for the German or the French or the Spanish. They're looking um, for how you can bring your unique background because it's not available locally and, and share that with the local employees. I love that. That's great. How can you learn enough of the language to stand out? Exactly. And that's so Four to six weeks, four to eight weeks of intense language training. I'm talking eight hours a day, you know, four hours of, tr- of class, four hours of lab and reading and writing and repeating yeah. and all of that stuff. That will get you enough. And you're talking about an investment anywhere from 500 to, you know, a couple of thousand dollars. But in a short amount of time, you can bump up your, um, your, value. Likelihood. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. So we're going back to value, finding your value, finding your value in context. Um, also looking in ways you can increase your value. Um, so let's get a little bit more, even more detailed. So let's assume our people are listening to the advice and they're reaching out, they're, they're nurturing the relationships. And now it's around the next step. So because you have expertise in resume writing, what can you recommend to people, the biggest mistakes people make? Don't spend your time looking for somebody to translate your resume into the local language. Um, Interesting. Tell me more. Go with um, an international, um, in, or let's say English speaking at this point, but but whatever your native language is, go with your native language. Mm-hmm. Uh because that's what people, again, are going to be hiring you for. And in general, um, expats are going to be looking at and approaching uh, environments that have an international twist to it anyway. Um, most likely, you're not going to, very few expats are going to go to the local bread shop or the local 
grocery store and say, I want to, you know, be a cashier or I want to do this. Um, Let me just ask you a clarification question. When you said don't have it translate into the local language, let's say in Switzerland, German or French or Italian, but what you're not saying is, you know, keep it in Polish. I I think I hear you say, keep it international, maybe translate into English rather than Swiss German. Tell me if I've understood that correctly. Yes. Well, or have, have to, but a lot of people will come and say, Oh, can you translate my, my resume into German? And I say, um, that's really not the point because if you have your resume translated into the local language and you go ahead and apply, your phone's going to ring, your email's going to come up in the local language and you're going to go, how do I Mm. I respond? Oh my gosh. I don't speak Polish. I don't speak German. And you're going to, you're going to be stuck. And so you are going to be stuck actually in a lie, which was not your intention. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a nice. So don't waste the time. What should we do instead? So when we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not time and money there, what should we, what should we do to invest in our resume? So if you've gone through and looked at relationships and you're nurturing relationships and you're finding out what's hot, what's interesting, where do I fit in this working world in Vienna, for example? Um, now you start to bring that, mix it with your value. What's, what do I have to give in this culture that's significant, that could earn money? And you start to translate that into your resume. <clears throat> and that's where you start to hone uh, and looking at and using the local words, the language, um, in the culture, and how do you meld that with who you are and express that in your resume and express that in terms of your accomplishments and how you talk about your accomplishments as they are relevant to the local uh, job market and what you're trying to achieve as a job. So how do you how do you understand the local culture and local job market before you even get there? Or once you're there and you're still new, what do you suggest them to do? There are so many um, groups now, communities, um, many, many uh, organizations or many people will go to the American community to start with. Um, In Vienna, you've got an American Women's Association. Um, In other countries, there might be an American community uh, to start with. Um, Or some kind of some countries have their own um, business agencies that that fund communities for this purpose because countries want the expat spouses to be happy in order to be able to attract good companies with great people. And And so just, I'm just going to interrupt here for a second. Also, I would say, because not everybody who's listening is American, you could go, I have a a community here, like a Swiss community that, that we connect with. Look for the French community or the German community People who understand your culture but have lived long enough right. in the local culture to make that translation. And That's most, great. Embassies, most embassies in country will be able to give you some tips about those communities. But also because of Facebook, because of Twitter, um, because of LinkedIn, you automatically can start to see who who's talking about what what organization. Oh, and then you Google it and then you find out and you you contact the, the reason for contact information on a website is so that you can reach out to those human beings <laughs> and say, I'm coming. I don't know anybody. Can you give me some advice where to start? It's a 20 minute phone call. 
Right. I think a lot of people feel like they're bothering you, you know, like, oh, they're going to bother me or I'm going to bother them. I feel bad. I feel needy. Those sort of things. You're right. That's why they have a contact button. Exactly. And you know what? It's the same with starting to read. People get on the airplane and they read, they pick up the, the airplane magazine and they read an article and go, oh my gosh, I feel exactly the same. There's a reason why there's a byline on an article and now uh, an email and how to connect with those people, writers, authors, bloggers, podcasts, Mm -hmm. everybody, they're out there because we're human and we're trying to be social and we're trying to help each other. And expats in general have the special gene of helpfulness. And so absolutely reach out to people, contact them, build those relationships because they will take you places that you have never dreamed about. Yeah. I love it when people contact me. I'm like, yay, there's real people at the end of these email addresses. I I adore that. Um, So we've talked a lot about the accompanying partner and some of the tips. I'm just going to recap them quickly. What I'm hearing is really get clear on your value in context. That's a whole process in itself. I know that because I do that with a lot of my clients. The second one is get really clear on your relationships Um, Who do you want to contact? Uh, How are you going to do that over social media channels so you can translate those digital relationships into face-to-face relationships? And the third thing is translate that value and then make sure that's communicated in your resume. I know there's more, Vicki, but because of time, we're going to stop there. They can contact you directly to get the rest of the story. Can we shift our attention to the partner who is actually um, sent abroad because of the assignment? Mm-hmm. So for example, someone works for an embassy or a corporation, they have the job, they bring their family to Vienna or to Japan, wherever it is, and they have the job and their partners at home. What advice do you have for the person who's actually working on the expat assignment so that they understand what the person at home is going through? Uh, turn up your empathy detector. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there, This is really hard for the person who's got the job because they are they're dealing with all the same stuff that the spouse or the partner is dealing with and all except you think automatically that because they have the job their life is perfect and Mm -hmm. the fact is they're going to work every day and dealing with local culture that they may or may not have been briefed on um and even if they've been briefed they're still having it's hands-on learning Mm -hmm. and they're having to perform at their highest level because they've just been hired and there's so much writing on their job Um, so, and because they're so focused on that, their focus on the relationship back home is, it's just the attention has shifted because the importance of success is so much more important than if you just stayed in your native country. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they're, they're using all their empathy emotions for work Mm -hmm. and tend to kind of leave the partner or spouse at home going, You just need to do what you need to do. And by the way, um, make sure the house is running in this country where you may not, you might not even speak the language and get a job. And what, by the way, what are you doing spending all your time at home? You know, why are you not being more productive? (laughs) Hot spot. What have you been doing all day? I have a, I have an article with like three things to not say to the expense. (laughs) 
And that's one of them. But, you know, it's it's one of those, you both need to learn that your communication skills that worked for you in the in your home country are not going to work exactly the same now in this foreign country because your emotions are the the wire is a lot tighter because you're you're worried about yourself you're worried about your family you're worried about how are we going to build the life while we're here right now and make it the most successful and still have time and money to enjoy the adventure right and so it's that you it's learning you know there's all of this work now on um, meditation and calming down and so that you can be your authentic self but it's so important to find out um, how to maintain your authentic self, whether it's through exercise, meditation, diet, um, lots of different approaches, because that's the way you are going to maximize the adventure because you're not going to be wasting your energy on, well, what did you do all day? Well, I did this and this and this and, um, and then get into an argument because you're not connecting on, how hard it is for both of you and the right. challenges that you both have. And I think, I think that what happens is the focus goes to one partner, one or the other, and the other partner gets left in the dust. Right. So what and, I'm hearing actually, um, both partners need to dial up their empathy button. Um, another way, I mean, I call it about perspective taking, like really trying to see it through their lens. And that's hard because it's so easy to be like, it's hard to be me right now, you know, like <laughs> one of the greatest gifts of living abroad is the work you get to do on building your empathy uh, and, and your um, resilience muscle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because totally. you, you only build that through these kinds of challenges. And if you don't take the chance to live abroad, you're, um, your resilience gets tested through just the things that happen in life, um, yeah. death, divorce, um, building a family, and you miss this whole opportunity of the richness. It's kind of a richness of having deep resilience yeah. and how that will ha- help you throughout your life and just make your life more interesting. And, and I think that's one of the greatest gifts you get from living and working abroad. And when you go back to your native country and you, you automatically have more resilience, more empathy, more understanding for, for hardship and more capacity to experience joy that sometimes your native, your, your friends and family in your native country don't recognize you. Mm-hmm. Because you have, it's kind of like, you know, spending six months going to work out and, you know, suddenly you have arm muscles that people, you know, you can just... <laughs> Wow. And it's, but it's the same thing with these emotional muscles, so to speak, that you won't get from, from living abroad. And by working with your partner in your relationship, I think, I think the biggest thing is that we both, um, the person who has the job and the person who doesn't have the job immediately, they, they forget to focus on each other. Right. That's the thing. I think you get, it's so easy to get lost. And what I recommend there is that people, um, you know, the structure creates the culture that they create a a structure where they're connecting and checking in, even if it's like, you know, date night once a month so that they don't, they don't lose sight because it's so easy to lose sight. So you mentioned resilience. Um, You also mentioned uh, taking care of yourself. I'm going to put in the show notes for those who are listening 
um, a couple articles on resilience and how to deal with extreme stress, because I think that will really complement what we were talking about when we looked at the importance of resilience. So we've talked about this, this strategy of people it sounds like the core of everything is really first getting clear on the value of what you offer in context and then tr- communicating that or translating that into your relationships and into the physical tools you use to market yourself to get the job. What would you say? What would you leave us with? Something that you wish you could shout from the rooftops <laughs> to everybody who is in this process of putting themselves out there on the professional market um, in a rotational life or a long-term expat uh, migrant life, what do you wish people would know? I think I would just go back to, to, instead of trying to be something that you're not, be more of who you are, be more of yourself. To get to that point, you've got to do a little bit of work. You don't need to do it alone. There are a lot of people out there like yourself who are able to, you know, in a couple of sessions even, um, help you identify those values, um, your strengths, and how do you translate that for the local country that you're living in? And then just work on being more of who you are and that value because everyone is unique. You still are unique, even if now you've got the label of love pad or expat you still are who you are and you bring uniqueness to whatever you do, but it's easy to lose the courage to be that person when you don't speak the language mm-hmm. and when you don't, when you just don't have a sense of where you are in the world. And you know what I find when I do this with my clients, um, I make them list their skills, you know, hard skills, soft skills, and I have them ask their friends and coworkers, what they're really good at and how they add value. And they are shocked when they get the answers because they end up realizing like, Hey, I'm actually a badass. Like it's like when you, the process is the result is really functional for the job search, but the process is so important for their confidence. And I, I think one of the first things I usually do to build on that is to say to somebody, go and write three to five paragraphs on what, is the one thing that you are the most proud of having accomplished in the last five years. Mm-hmm. And then Okay. Can- that's your assignment. If you're listening, what yeah. is the one thing you're most proud of that you've accomplished in the last three to five years? Because Period. that's going to open up your skills, your passions, things that you're proud of. You're already going to stand up straighter. And, and that'll automatically work its way into your elevator pitch and and let people into who you are. That's and great. Who that person is. So wonderful. So if anybody's listening and they're thinking, oh my gosh, I really would love to translate my statement into an elevator pitch, into my resume, where can people find you? They can find me on LinkedIn under LinkedIn, um, LinkedIn.com slash in slash the Coster Lenhart. Okay. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes as well. Um, You can learn all about her there. So thank you so much for being here. Um, I know so many rotational expats and even long-term migrants struggle with finding work. And it has such an impact on on self-worth, self-confidence, even a financial impact and quality of life. So what you do is such an important link in, in this chain. So thanks for being here. 
Thank you. And you as well. You, you, you get to a new level. All right, you guys, that was Vicki Coster-Lenhardt. She is the expert on career transition strategies for end resume writing, has a lot of insight on how to help you get meaningful employment when you're living abroad. It's been such a pleasure having her. And I know what I'll walk away with is that message of don't try to be something that you're not. Look at what your value is and then how you can enhance your value and then really just translate that into relationships, which ironically, it seems like the thing that most people neglect when it's the most important thing to do. Thank you for listening. This is the Expat Happy Hour with Sunday Bean. I'll leave you with the words of G.K. Nielsen. Successful people are not gifted. They just work hard and succeed on purpose. Ha, ha, ha.